0: QuickMed Claims presents the Board and Collar 10Q30. We pose 10 questions to emergency medical service leaders from across the United States on key matters affecting EMS nationwide. You'll find their unique responses interesting and thought-provoking, all in 30 minutes. Your host, QMC's Director of Client Services, Gary Harvat.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Gary Harvat. I'm from the QMC Client Success Team. And I am joined by two of my esteemed colleagues today, Chuck Humphrey from our compliance department and Stacy Dennis, also from our client success team. Folks, we have a really great uh, program for you today. I'm actually been excited about this for several weeks. I, I actually thought it was later in the year and then I saw, oh my goodness, it's coming up here in August. So we're glad to have um, our good friends uh, from Mercy Flight Central in Canandaigua, New York. Good job, Gary. Joining us today. I was struggling, folks. I was struggling for you folks at home. I was really struggling before we started with the Canandaigua, but uh, Jeff and Aaron uh, started off started us off okay. Jeff is the president of the C at uh, president and CEO of Marcy Flight Central, Jeff Barkowski. And Aaron Reese is the program director. So they have agreed to let us just throw a bunch of questions at them today about their program, and this is their chance to shine. I will tell you that we welcome questions from those of you attending today. Thank you very much. For starters, Uh, feel free to to go to the bottom of your video screen. Should you have a question for Jeff or Aaron, type your question in and we will pose it to them. Uh, I will also tell you that uh, in addition to today's webinar program, we will also be converting this to our podcast, which will give you more information about that at the end. You know, uh, Jeff and Aaron, when we started doing these programs, this, we had a, some a couple of crazy ideas, Chuck and myself, and we thought, well, why don't we profile some of our different clients from all over the country? And to be honest with you, I kind of thought this idea, Um, and I will tell you, it's my idea. I usually blame things on Chuck, but uh, this was my idea. Um, I really thought, well, we'll give it a try. This will probably be a flash in a pan and see if it works once or twice. But surprisingly, uh, when we've done this, uh, some of the responses we get from those that we're talking with um, attract the attention of others who are listening. And lo and behold, Um, We found that it's created a little bit of a network in some respects that people will call and say, uh, hey, Garrett, can you uh, put me in touch with Jeff or Aaron, I really like the way they are addressing this issue or that issue and, you know, if you guys, uh, Jeff and Aaron are open to that idea we provide that information along to them. Uh, And if not, we Chuck and I will handle handle it on our own but it's really been something that has caught on. Uh, much more than I ever thought uh, in a thousand years, and we didn't do many last year uh, because of COVID, and people were just too busy. And really, to kind of digress in light of the challenges everybody was facing, and have this, it was really tough. So we're again excited about having having you today. Thank you, Jeff and Aaron, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. It means a lot, and uh, I I know the folks will find everything that you have to say today. Uh, Quite informative. So, given that, let's get started here. Jeff has told me that Aaron has really prepared the living daylights out of this. So, um, (laughs) we're going to have some fun here along the way. So, uh, I think the best place to start, Chuck and Stacey, of course, is tell us about your program. Hey, I got to tell you, um, we do this client um, review every week. We call it our partners in the news. And we have used Google Alerts to search on all of our clients. So when they come up, um, we put that and send it out to all the staff and you guys have been the recipients of some uh, some grants and I see some. Uh, there's different outings that have been going on in New York to, to benefit you folks. So hey, kudos because uh, I know coming from a flight program background as I have in the past, um, it's not um, an inexpensive operation to keep an aircraft in uh, flying, providing the needed services so uh all of our hats are off to you guys but uh uh, i know these these aircraft and and all that maintaining them does not come uh does not come cheap by any means so uh, i remember those words that used to haunt me in my sleep at night life limited parts i'm like it's working perfectly fine why do we need to replace it (laughs) uh, The hours are up. But anyway, so so folks, Aaron, Jeff, tell us a little bit about Mercy Flight Central, would you please?
2: Absolutely. Our pleasure. Gary, Chuck, thanks for having us here today. We're uh, we're very excited to be able to share a little bit about our story with everyone on the webinar and in the future on the podcast. I've been here for about seven years coming from a Navy background. Actually, I flew helicopters in the Navy and now I just fly a desk, but uh, loving it here at Mercy Flight Central. We have four helicopters, we have three bases, and most importantly, we have about 70 personnel that typically is part of our organization. We're CAMES accredited. Aaron's gonna talk a lot more about the program. I'll give just a start with just a touch on history and then I'll turn it over to Aaron. We were founded in 1992. We're an independent not-for-profit, so not too many folks with our business model left in our industry anymore we're, so we're a 501 c3 we're not owned by a hospital system uh, we are completely independent and serve all those within the region our region like you mentioned we're based in Canandaigua, which is the rochester new york area and that was that base started back in 92 we created a second base in the marcellus new york which is in the syracuse area and then just back in 2015 2016 we opened up a third base to better serve more of the central New York area and the Mohawk Valley region and into the Adirondacks from Rome, New York in an old Air Force base over there. So we cover a lot of this, this central part of upstate New York. And with that, I'll have Erin introduce herself.
3: Thanks. And thanks again for having us. So I'm Erin Reese. I've been with Mercy Flight uh, Central for about 18 years. Started as a flight nurse initially, um, transitioned into a, a clinical supervisor role, clinical manager, and eventually into the program director role um, that I've been in for the last uh, eight years. Um, I oversee the outreach, the clinical, and the communication center, um, essentially the, the clinical program, and happy to be here and happy to answer your questions. And I guess
2: I'll add, Gary, that so kind of everything on the clinical side, you know, all of our medical program is under errands. Well, we are also the part 135 aviation operator as well. So we're a complete package of both the aviation side and the medical side together.
0: Very interesting. I'm interested, uh, which is easier, piloting the craft or piloting the desk? I got to know.
2: Uh there's days uh that I'd much rather be in the air. Well, right? you wish you were in the air, right?
0: <laughs> I'm sure. I when you said that, I thought I gotta ask you that question. Yeah, there's yeah. no doubt about it. I would rather
2: be in the air almost any day, but I'm uh, sure. Yeah. The view's better
0: from
1: the air. Sure. That's right. That's right. Good. Well, that's that's great. Um I've got a, uh, like of course, as the program says, 10Q30, but as you folks go through today, feel free to add as much power about your program. This is your chance to shine. And I know people, uh, you know, we're going to give you these questions, but by all means, feel free to digress at any point where you feel you need to add more. Um, tell us about, if you would please, Aaron or Jeff, um, how, what is your staffing model?
3: So as Jeff mentioned, we have three bases. So all three bases are staffed 24-7 um, with a par- with pilot, uh, flight nurse, and flight paramedic. Um, our clinical staff works 24-hour shifts. Um, we do have fatigue uh, risk mitigation tools in place to ensure we don't run into any, any concerns with the 24-hour shifts. Um, our pilots work 12-hour shifts per their, their restrictions. Um, we also have our communication center, which is at our primary base here in Canandaigua. They um, are staffed 24/7 um, and dual dual spec at most points and they um, handle all communication for all three of our aircraft intake from the 911 centers hospitals etc so our, our staffing is is essentially the the 24/7 three bases flight nurse flight paramedic and and pilot obviously
2: we rarely we rarely fly all four although we did just this past weekend have all four manned up and ready to serve uh, we Watkins Glen International. Uh, You might know that from NASCAR and other type of racing is pretty close by for us. And so we actually had an aircraft anytime NASCAR races, for example, as well as some of the other major racing networks. They don't start the engines until the helicopter is there on the scene with the crew. And so we had an aircraft down there as well.
0: Very interesting. I bet you don't have any trouble finding crew to cover the races.
2: Yeah, that's usually a volunteer function. Somehow it gets filled. So yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Folks, we did have a question come in for you if we can kind of just uh, stop sure, for yeah. a second. This, came, this comes to us from that little state down south called Texas. Um, and one of our attendees is asking how long have you had your Part 135? And have you ever at any point used a, an aircraft vendor uh, and moved to the 135? And if so, why? There's a mouthful of a question.
2: Sure, yeah, I'm, Aaron, you picked me up if I missed any of the parts. But we've uh, we've had we've been the 135 operator in one way, in the sense of not farming it out to some national company from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But we were organized a little differently earlier on, where we were technically two different companies all serving the same purpose. And then about seven years ago, uh, we went through the process of merging those into one entity but it was never farmed out to one of the national providers for aircraft like some of the companies do use
1: i see great aaron is anything you
2: wanted to add
3: no i think that was and
2: i think why i think was thrown in there and i guess the why piece of it would be uh you know there's certainly challenges being a relatively small operator and having all those concerns to manage ourselves, but it's great autonomy. It allows us to be very flexible and adaptable to the needs of the community. And certainly wouldn't have it any other way.
1: Great, great answer. Thank you very much. Um, okay, we'll continue on. Um, I did want to ask: Can you what type of aircraft are you flying today?
2: Well, actually, you're going to force me into our big news right right off the bat, which is awesome, and maybe that'll generate plenty of questions from. From those listening in today, we fly the BK117, and uh, you might have heard of that one. That's been around a little while in the industry, but uh, we have uh, very big news that has uh, just come out, and that is we'll be transitioning to the Augusta-Westland 119 KX. And uh, that will be over the course of 2022 and 2023 that we'll bring in those four aircraft and replace our existing fleet with uh, wow. four, four brand new aircraft. And these will be the instrument, uh, single pilot IFR certified uh, aircraft that we'll be bringing in as far as the 119 goes.
1: Well, congratulations. Congratulations, uh, that's, that's Yeah, That's great. And I also know that uh, anything related to aircraft, including brand new ones, does not come without a significant price tag. So God bless you. and. Uh, I know that'll serve your patient population in the communities quite well. Um, I'm not overly familiar with that aircraft. Is that a a twin engine aircraft?
2: It's single engine. Single engine? uh, Yeah, it flies a PT6 Bravo engine, which is a Pratt & Whitney engine that has a phenomenal safety record, reliability record. So we're very excited about, it's the first single engine, single pilot IFR certified aircraft from the FAA. Uh, that's out there. There's only one other one even out there, and it was the first, and it really is a combination of not only a very capable and reliable engine, but they were able to put the redundancy into this single-engine aircraft that you would normally only find in a dual-engine aircraft, and so that's been able to provide the capability we need as well as an efficiency that we really wouldn't see in a dual-engine aircraft.
1: Right. And so, Jeff, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I, I'm going to say, uh, I bet you tried that one on for size, put, put a few minutes on that on that aircraft when you were deciding, right?
2: Yeah, we, we gave a hard look. Uh, I'll let Aaron talk a little bit about that process. And it probably, yeah. once again, not the original script, but maybe pretty interesting to folks. How do so, you go about picking an aircraft? And so I think Aaron really was a lot of the lead there.
3: Yeah, so that was, a, that was a significant undertaking for, for our company. Um, we sat down and looked at what our mission is, what our um, patient population and what care we provide right now from a range and a patient care standpoint. Looked at a lot of different factors, identified what we absolutely had to have and what we what were nice to have, and then went through a list of about 12 different airframes, compared those to what we, uh, our list of requirements and ended up with a short list of four. And from there, we down, went down to obviously to our selection. Um, we did have the aircraft come up for, for a visit um, for, to Canandaigua. Luckily, they're coming just from Philadelphia. So short, short flight up to, to Canandaigua, relatively short, I say. Um, so that was great. We were able to take an actually firsthand look at the aircraft. Um, and as far as the EMS interior, we've been working with with other programs on, on similar interiors, and we're able to look at those in in person as well.
1: Right. I know that is a lot of work. It's a uh, it's a yeah. labor of love, though, because at the end, when that aircraft lands on your pad with that brand new sparkling mm-hmm. paint job and that interior that you want,
0: and uh, it's. It's quite a rush, is it not? Uh, It'll
3: be a great day. (laughs) It is, it
0: really will Now I'm a landlubber, but what do you, do you do a trade-in? Like, is there a used helicopter (laughs) lot somewhere or what do you do with the BKs?
2: Well, actually you'll see that a lot of the BK-117s are still being used, but not necessarily in North America anymore. Okay. And we'll see, we'll see, but we definitely intend to sell those and uh, there will be a market. I'm just, it may not be a market within this, with yeah. this, this country yeah
0: that makes sense okay yeah, yeah thanks for that i don't sure. know ask well that's a typical land guy question
1: no, right that's okay that's all right no problem at all well great oh congratulations again we are so excited to hear that and uh send pictures
0: <laughs> yes by all means
1: so um Again, at the onset of today's program, I was mentioning that I've seen your name appear in your local newspapers and uh, things around your area. So uh, I'm sure you're deeply vested in your communities. Can you tell us some of the things that, that you do as far as an outreach in, in your communities to heighten awareness and play a pivotal role as part of the fiber of the communities you serve?
2: Absolutely. You know, As a 501c3, we are very attuned to the community. Uh, We're very attentive and appreciative uh, of our community. We wouldn't have been here for 30 years almost if if that wouldn't have been the case. And certainly we're governed by a board of community leaders that represent healthcare. They represent large and small businesses of various industries and other not-for-profits. So it's great to have that level of uh, leadership to assist our staff on a volunteer basis as our board. Uh, as a, as uh, the the staff and our employees were very involved in a variety of fundraising events where we actually had a, a 119 here on our base this past weekend because every other year we do our biggest fundraiser and Augusta Wesson flew one up for this event as we shared this huge news with, with the community that that aircraft will serve. And so that was really a neat celebration as well as an opportunity for us to raise over $300,000, in this case, that'll go towards that aircraft, as well as when we do these fundraising events throughout the year, it really goes towards making us better, you know, buying a piece of equipment that we need to further advance our, our quality of care. So, And then that's one aspect. Another thing, that that's kind of what they do for us per se, but the other part of it is what we do for the community. We're uh, very frequently hosting civic groups, Youth organizations, other types of groups for tours. We've done blood drives here with the Red Cross. A variety of those type of activities occur on a regular basis. And the other part of the community is the specific part of the community that, of course, we partner in service with. And Aaron will share a little bit about that. How we engage.
3: Great. Yeah, from from an outreach standpoint, we have um, we have an outreach department that is broken into pre-hospital and hospital. Individuals and those individuals are, are responsible for the educate or for the, the relationships with those partners. Um, we go out and offer educational opportunities on setting up a landing zone to a fire department, um, EMS, uh, air medical utilization to an EMS agency. Um, we've also recently, in the last, uh, well, probably about six years ago, we started offering educational opportunities, uh, a one day conference uh, with multiple speakers, CMEs for the local EMS agencies. Um, with COVID, um, things changed a bit, and we've we've moved that to a virtual uh, webinar platform for the last year. Uh, but this last one, we had over 500 reg- registrants um, from all over the country. Actually, we had a few from, from a couple of other countries, so it's great. There are good things that have come from COVID as far as um, as far as that that goes, and we certainly hope to uh, return to a either an in person or a hybrid model of that education day um, in the near future. One of the other big things that, um, that recently came about is a mobile simulator that we had purchased a decommissioned body of a BK-117, uh, mounted it to a, um, to a trailer, and have really essentially converted it into very similar to the, the interior of the BK-117 that we fly. Um, we've also outfitted it with uh, audio, sound system, cameras, so that from a simulation education for our own staff, um, it, it provides a, a great simulation education experience, but we'll also be able to take that out the community and use that for community outreach, education, potentially, you know, bringing it to a, a MASH camp or one of the camps that the um, hospitals offer that are typically for high school children that maybe we may not fly an aircraft to. Um, we could bring this, this mobile simulator out. So we're pretty excited about that as well. So it's been, that's one of the one of the things in the last few weeks that have been kind of rather exciting up here.
1: That is exciting. Not many programs that I'm aware of have anything like that. So uh, that's just great to hear. And I think, you know, just like anything else, when it comes to healthcare, the more we can uh, educate the community around us, uh, the more support we will get in the long run. So very, very good.
0: And I think it's great that you guys are doing that on, you know, a standalone and not having a hospital system support. That's, that's, that's fantastic. It really is. And Kudos to you guys for being Very so cutting so. edge. Yeah. Very much, thank
1: so. you. Thanks. So, uh, you mentioned the pre-hospital groups. So, how about your outreach with them? I know they play such a pivotal role when the chips are down and they need your help. Um, mm-hmm. What do you do as far as um, education and other things uh, to um, to work in more as a partnership as opposed to the EMS of the flight program?
3: So, with the hospitals. Um- the, with the hospital uh, organizations?
1: No, no, I'm sorry. The pre-hospital organizations. Okay, pre-hospital, I'm sorry.
3: Yes. I, um, so yeah, absolutely. We um, That's where we offer uh, education on air medical utilization, when it's appropriate and best to, to call a helicopter, um, how to set up a landing zone, um, different educational uh, sessions, such as the one that I had mentioned. Um, we've also partnered with our local trauma center on Stop the Bleed campaign, more, more towards the community, but also um, the EMS agencies were, were, um, certainly involved in that as well.
1: Right. I know, uh, during my days in the, in the, uh, air medical, we did, uh, between, um, what do they call the prom prom promise type things. Yeah.
3: Uh, DWI drills. That. Absolutely. Yeah. And then yep. of
1: course, um, but, yep. uh, safety zone, uh, setting landing up the landing zone. Yep. There you go. The landing Sorry.
3: zone forces. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We we do, we do those. We get we get many requests for for events, um, whether it be you know DWI drills in the in the spring or fire prevention in the, in the fall. We try to do as many as we can with with the staff that we have, but certainly try to partner with them uh, wherever we can and wherever we have have the availability to do so.
1: Great. So Aaron, I think this one's going to be geared for you. Okay. Uh, tell us about some clinical improvements that the organization has gone through in recent years. Anything?
3: Yeah, I think uh, a couple come to mind. Um, one most recently that has that not actually uh, come to fruition yet, but um, the ability to carry blood products. So in New York State, uh, EMS, Air Medical are not able to carry blood products. We're actually one of the one or two um, states in the country that are not allowed to do so. So over the last two years, there's been some legislation in, in, uh, in the works that was recently put through and approved that would allow EMS air medical uh, organizations to carry blood products and to be able to have those available for trauma patients. Um, so it's currently uh, awaiting uh, final governor's signature, um, certainly not to get into New York politics, but um, it'll be Ugh. we're waiting for the waiting for it to be signed by the governor and then put into the uh, in through the state department of health but having that ability to have blood products uh, for our trauma patients and just our general medical patients is something we're really excited about and and have wanted for many many years so i think that'll certainly be be one Um, another one would be point of care ultrasound so we actually started uh, using point of care ultrasound in, in 2013 so, quite a few years ago, we had um, what were state of the art at the time, but were much larger units um, that we've been using. And in the last year to two years, we've transitioned to uh, the butterfly ultrasound, which is a handheld, much smaller unit. Um, just makes it easier for the crews to use, more accessible, um, which is greatly implement or greatly increased our utilization of point of care ultrasound, which is a great tool for, for just for our providers to have when they're taking care of patients.
1: Great. Well yeah. we have another another question for you. I think this yeah. one is also probably well maybe for both of you. This comes from Iowa. Hello, Iowa. Uh, we're enjoying your corn here in Pittsburgh. Thank you. Um, but they asked how you, you mentioned at the beginning of the program that your cames accredited. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel the process was comprehensive and fair? And two, what was the timeline from start of application till review?
3: so great question so we were originally accredited until 2011 at that point um there were some changes and and we let our accreditation go in 2018 i would say we made the decision to um re re well it would be initial accreditation um so we started the process um to answer the first part of the question i would say yes i think the the process is very comprehensive and fair um it it caused us to do a lot of uh, looking at our own organization, looking at our policies, and our procedures, um, realizing that we were doing a lot of things right. And there was also some areas that we could could improve on, Um, but it was a great introspective look at at the organization. Um, And I think I would say it was about a year, about a year from the year, year and a half from the time we made the decision till we um, actually submitted and had our, our site survey. So we we ended with a full accreditation um, and we actually re-accredit next year um, in 2022. I would, I would add, that it's a
2: lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's probably more work, more money in the preps than you might think it would be. We pretty much felt we were close to the standard. We knew there were some things that we would, but we thought we were operating pretty close to the standards already. But then if you really wanna be you know, very well prepared and you're crossing all those T's and dotting all those I's. There's a variety of things that come up. And so it is a significant undertaking for an organization to do, but it's worth it. And it's yeah. the right direction for the, the industry as a whole to go.
1: Great. Great. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, uh, of course, with anything with air medical, safety is uh, paramount. And, you know, spending my time in the program in the 80s and 90s, um, you know, there was a lot of things flying about safety in the air. Um, and so I think our good fr- friends at the Air Associ- Association Air Medical Services have really done a pretty good job in addition to every flight program across the country, putting it to the very top of the list. Um, mm-hmm. How do you folks handle safety as far as it goes when, when the calls come in and the weather is maybe not as best as it might be? Um, this is something we deal with I'm sure on New York Uh, You don't always have beautiful days of sunshine. If uh, Mm -hmm. you're close enough to Pittsburgh, then I can probably say that. Yeah,
3: I'd say our days are probably fairly similar. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I'll say a couple of comments and then allow Aaron to to share a little bit more. Certainly, uh, it's uh, very much in the forefront of our minds. We have an operational control process like anybody else would to make sure we're making proper decisions. Ultimately, that pilot in command has a lot of responsibility. To make and this is an area that our industry has, if you go back historically, we struggled with as, and that's one of the reasons why we were very keen to move towards the Augusta Westland One Nineteen KX. Not only to have an aircraft that's IFR capable, but we're committing to the to put the pilot training in to make sure our pilots are sort serv- of uh, have not only the qualifications but have the proficiency level so that we will reduce the likelihood. Of anything from an inadvertent IMC becoming a mishap of, you know, in a safety type of an incident. So it takes a lot of effort, but it's, uh, to a large extent, it's an attitude uh, that uh, you are empowering your people to make a decision, but they also understand, you know, what the expectations are here to make the right decision. And everybody wants, it's not just a, it's not a financial thing to execute a mission. Everybody wants to execute that mission, but it, and I feel that a helicopter EMS organization that our biggest risk, frankly, is the risk of potentially having some type of tragic mishap, because not only is our, our crew and that patient then endangered, but the impact to us and the trust that we've built through a community could be significantly impacted as well. So. We have every reason to put full attention to it, and Aaron will show some of the specific things that we've taken yeah. on.
3: So we nice. are an SMS um, uh, voluntary. Uh, SMS voluntary program participant. Um, so our we do have a uh, safety we have a safety director, we have an assistant safety director, deputy safety director um, that also head our safety committee. So we have a committee made up of representatives from all of the bases and the job classes so that we have a, a good look at all the different aspects of safety that we need to make sure we''re, we're make sure we're looking at um, as far as whether it be workplace safety, patient safety, and in addition to the obvious uh, safety of aviation. So um, it's something that we definitely have grown over the years and have made some, some great strides in. and I think something we're very proud of uh, for a small, as you said for a small program, we do have quite a few um cutting edge, and I think our safety program is, is certainly up there with one of those.
2: Right. Just, just culture is another aspect of that, Gary, that I would yeah. suggest. You know, I mean, that's something that many organizations have incorporated, but that helps to create the right attitude that if some if there is a near-miss, for example, that folks can share what occurred and mm-hmm. we're going to figure out what happened to prevent its recurrence more than to beat somebody over the head with it. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, ready for another question? Absolutely. Right. You typically don't get all these. The, you're obviously just intriguing these folks, so that's great. It's important. So, Aaron, got to come back to you. Sounds like okay. you're, you're our answer lady today. I think it's a pretty simple one. Okay. Do, you, do you still fly and do you find trouble juggling clinical versus administrative?
3: I don't still fly, unfortunately. Okay. Um, I also fly a desk, but I <laughs> um, gave that up about six years ago just for the fact of having a hard time staying current with the profession, staying current with education, um, and and being able to feel comfortable and confident to to take care of patients while juggling everything else that I'm trying to do from an administrative role. Um, And I personally, as as far as clinical and and operations, I enjoy both. Um, I have a great, strong clinical leadership team. um, And from an operational standpoint, we've got a great team. So I enjoy both aspects, um, but I do miss, obviously miss flying.
1: Sure, absolutely. So, Jeff, as she was speaking, uh, I got very simply out of Connecticut. Same question for Jeff.
2: There's definitely a tremendous amount of satisfaction out of being, being a crew member and getting to really have a, a part in uh, the, the folks that are on the background like we mm-hmm. are, you know, but th- you're missing something. But I also realize I'm helping to enable you know, every life saved, and that's incredibly satisfying. When I came into this job after my Navy career, my goal was to be able to make a difference in the community I lived in, and to be able to be part of Mercy Flight Central has been an incredible blessing, because I know this organization has a tremendous impact of the community it's in. Right. So,
1: moving on, uh, Aaron, 18 years. Jeff, did you say seven? Is that what Seven, that's correct. Seven. Um, so... Uh, I know I get that. For some reason, they ask me this question a lot. I don't know here, but you know, maybe I, I don't think it's my age. I'm just 64. But they ask me often here about, Gare, what are you doing about succession planning? And I sometimes
2: get offended by that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, but
3: it's, it's, it's better than collection.
2: the other part of it that you're fired so. <laughs> that's exactly right
1: <laughs> that's a good point jeff. yeah good point jeff thanks thanks
2: yeah you bet absolutely uh, whatever i can do to help so but, but I, yeah it's a great question it's one that every organization has to face is uh is not it's not if it's when right and so sure. You have to look at you know the leadership and there's a variety of ways that's done i'm gonna i'm going to talk a little bit about it but i'm also going to ask aaron to share it kind of at that next level because the session planning isn't just about replacing the the senior executive or even just about replacing the department heads it has to be deeper for the organization to really be healthy and she's been very active at that next level into that middle management but certainly at the at the senior executive level you know i knew that when i came here i wouldn't be here for 25 years. And so it's been both a process of being transparent with our board to make sure that we engage them on who eventually will be my replacement and they can do, and whenever that decision is made, that we can make that far enough out so there'll be a a smooth transition. But the other part of my job is to prepare at least one person to be as strong a candidate as they can be internally, right? Because I can't prepare the external candidate too well, but I can make sure there's at least some level of choice within the organization, and so that's a very active thing that I do uh, with those that I feel have the skill set that's necessary to invest time introducing them to aspects of the organization that might that they might not otherwise have, ensuring they get opportunities that they that, that they might not otherwise have that they might need at that next step. Right, Aaron, is there anything you'd like to add?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So with with my team, I've certainly tried to give them as many opportunities as I can, giving them you know, professional development opportunities. And I think making sure that we have um, enough individuals that are potentially interested in, in leadership positions. Um, we've, we send routinely send, um, actually we're, we're, next week, we have one more going to the Medical Transport Leadership Institute. So we have uh, multiple CMTEs that are of, of in our leadership team. And we have another one that'll be finishing up hopefully next week. Um, But I think that's a great opportunity for them to network with others in the industry and look at all aspects of air medical transport and just medical transport um, in general.
1: Sure. Great stuff. Great answers. Thank you for that. Um, So along with that comes the issue of dealing with um, job stress. Uh, You people see in many cases uh, the worst of the worst. There's no changing that fact and of course that's challenging for people over time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So how do you address that? What do you do to identify it? What do you do to make sure everybody's doing okay and and as far as taking a look at your flight crews?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So something that we've been working on for probably about the last, uh, well COVID certainly made things a little bit more tricky, but for the last Nine months to a year is the beginning stages of a peer support group. So certainly, there have been many programs out there that have had very successful uh, peer support groups and have shared how they went about setting those up. So that's something we're in the very beginning stages of recognizing that that it is a stressful situation, a stressful industry, and wanting to have those uh, resources available, but also making sure that when we do have that, that it's set up appropriately with with the with the best individuals and resources that that we. Can have. So, something in the early stages um, that we have that we are working on. Um, the one part that we have started um, of that peer support group is just individuals working on um, team building exercises. So, just whether it be um, we have a newsletter that's peer driven that was just started by a couple of individuals. They had the idea they wanted to um, start this and, and just for a general camaraderie amongst the staff, have it be peer driven. Um, so we, we've tried to do uh, things like that where we're able to connect peers with peers, but also our goal is to have that that available. We do have EAP, um, but again, those are those are not necessarily meant for the everyday. Just ensuring your providers are are safe and and healthy, mentally um, and and able to perform their jobs and their everyday lives.
0: Aaron, I has would- it ratcheted up with COVID? Um, and it's an obvious question, but how how have you seen that uptick?
3: Yeah, I think we've definitely seen new stresses added to to our staff members. Um, you know, they certainly are, are used to, I say used to, but relatively used to the, the stresses of, of being a flight nurse flight hermetic pilot. Um, but when you add uh, a Tyvek suit and an N95 to that and you add a very sick patient who's, who's very contagious, that just adds that much more stress to, to what they do. Um, so we've tried to provide them with all the tools that, that we can to, to be able to do their job safely, to keep themselves safe. Um, but certainly that's added a lot of, a lot of stress to what they do, um, on an everyday basis.
2: You know, I would add for those that might be listening from other small organizations, somewhat like us, that yes, we're challenged as a small organization to be able to put the resources into a peer support program. We, we also have the great advantage of knowing our employees. Nobody feels like a number at Mercy Flight Central. You know, when you, when you have the limited numbers of people that we have, it's reasonable that, you know, I recognize every face, Erin knows well, every member of, of uh, her team. So it's, that really gives you the ability to, to not have folks just feeling like nobody cares about me anyway. Uh, and, and I think we've done a pretty good job on a generalized basis of that. But there are unique stressors and you certainly asked a great question when you brought that up.
0: And then, Jeff, you said you had four ships on over the weekend. So is there an uptick in transports too because of the recent surge or is that totally unrelated?
2: Yeah, I'm sorry, Was it? were you saying, have, did numbers go up as far as transports with COVID? Because of yeah. COVID. COVID,
0: are you, are you seeing I mean, surges, and air is air that air. why you had additional right. resource well, on? Or
2: oh, No, actually the additional resource was just to cover Watkins Glen. Okay. You know, oh, but okay. but, but gotcha. your other part of the question is an interesting one. We certainly overall, if you look at the past 18 months with COVID, we saw initially our numbers go down okay. as people weren't out and about. And then the numbers on the inner facility side stayed down as folks just kind of avoided hospitals with yeah. the fear of contracting the virus there. Not a not a uh, really a substantiated fear, but nonetheless a perception that people had. And then as time went by, we saw those numbers come back up. The scene, scene business really came back up. By the time 2020 ended, we saw an overall increase in volume, and 21 has been strong as well. So the demand is there, particularly sure. in this region, and we've been able to meet it because we did have, uh, through Aaron and other efforts of others, we had the PPE we needed you know, and, other, and the other equipment that we needed to be able to handle a variety of type of patients, even those very sick COVID patients. Yeah, very good. Yeah.
1: Okay, got another question for you. This is actually kind of a lighthearted question. it comes from Ohio. I see that you had your name on car 66.
2: (laughs) Oh, wow. That's great. (laughs) That was really neat. Uh, You talk about unique things going on here and how the community interacts with us. So a former patient of ours, we flew him about a year ago, uh, had been um, a a driver in the past. He was still had some connections to NASCAR. His wife uh, works with NASCAR as well. He sponsored or was associated with naming a car in the NASCAR Xfinity race this past weekend at Watkins Glen. Number 66 named Second Chances. It was really uh, devoted towards the first responders, Mercy Flight Central, the trauma team that saved his life. Uh, He was the star of a video we just debuted about the impact of our organization, and he had his car was modeled after our paint scheme. So really neat. And we actually got to see it the day before the race, where he brought it up to one of the towns around here. And uh, really, really neat. And then we, and then we had, he actually made it to the next night when we had our big fundraiser and met our special guest at that fundraiser, which is Richard Childress of NASCAR fame.
1: Sure. Great. Great stuff. Again, send pics. Okay, no, great, great. We'll do that. I bet you took a few, right? Yeah, we did. <laughs> so, um, one last question as we get to the end here. Um, you know, these are challenging times in all occupations now, hiring and finding great employees. Um, I know this is really nothing to do with the Air Medical, but um, it seems like I drive down every street anymore and I see signs from Burger King to barber shops to... Uh, large scale companies that have the banner out front now hiring. Um, How are you going about getting quality employees? And are you having, actually, this was a question too, are you having any trouble attracting good employees at this point? And that question came out of West Virginia.
3: I'll answer certainly the, part of the first part of that. So I would say from the, from the clinical operational side, um, we are struggling to find uh, paramedics consistent with the, much of the nation with the EMS shortage as well as just general, as you said, workforce shortage. Um, we are certainly trying to recruit um, as best we can. Um, as far as taking care of the, the employees that, that we have and retaining the employees we have, we're in the process of um, completing an engagement survey. That we put out, that was um, put out to all of our staff to gain a better understanding of what they, f- how they feel about the organization, to gain some feedback in areas that we're doing well, in areas that we can we can help in. Um, we've got some great feedback on on some things that we can make better to hopefully retain those those staff members um, for for long for the long term. Um, but as far as as far as uh, re- recruiting, um, we certainly are seeing the same struggles as as many other organizations.
2: And, and I would just add from my perspective, I think what we can do as far as how do you address this, you know, what can you do besides just that active recruiting effort, it's really the quality of what I would call the quality of service that we have here at Mercy Flight Central. That needs to be something we focus on so that attracts employees. So that's quality of care. So making sure that you have high standards for the care that you provide, that you provide your providers equipment that they need to do it that's both on a medical sense as well as an aviation sense obviously having a brand new aircraft will be a nice piece of that that'll be attractive to folks here but then then there's the other additional element of what you do for your employees to quote take care of them I don't really like that term because we don't take care of them as you know as a mom and dad but we give them opportunities and then and then I think the last piece of that is having a a strong safety record and, and that commitment to the employees that you hold that in a very high regard.
1: Right. Uh, both of you have done an excellent job portraying the, the great uh, organization that you lead. And I can't thank you enough. But before we go, I just wanted to see if there's any other anything else you'd like to tell us about Mercy Flight Central. Folks, this is your chance to shine. Everybody's sticking with us right now. And of course, once we put this out as a podcast, <laughs> Uh, I'm sure there's gonna be a lot more listeners coming your way. So anything else you'd like to add?
2: Well, I will just kind of wrap up by saying, I know we're somewhat unique in that we're an independent not-for-profit provider, both the medical side and the aviation side. And while some listening may say, wow, that's all the headaches all in one. I look at it the other way around and say, what an incredible opportunity to be able to have, to affect all aspects of the operation and not really need to depend on some other entity to be able to provide. We get to handle it ourselves. And really, I think that's the secret to our success. Thank you. Aaron, anything else?
3: Yeah, I'd say I think we unfortunately we got to some of our big news that we were going to save for the end with the with the questions and the aircraft. Um, but as Jeff said, we we're very proud of the organization that we have. We're proud of the accomplishments that we have um, that we have made, and we intend to to be here for many many years to come. And really appreciate the opportunity to share what we do and how we how we do it with others in the organ in the industry.
2: Well, let me add one last thing to that okay. because I know there's a variety of listeners out there today, and I want folks to under to assure you that we appreciate the fact that we're part of a larger community that provides the continuum of care that's needed. Obviously the hospital provides a lot of that, but we re- we very much cherish our relationship with the other EMS providers and know that it's only through working together closely with them that together we can save lives.
1: Great. Right. Well, I can tell from, and I'll speak on for the three of us from QMC sitting here, that uh, the love and excitement you have about your organization is quite evident. It shines through very much from our end. Uh, we can see it. And congratulations. We are happy to be associated with you. And of course, we wish you guys nothing, nothing but the best. And of course, as Chuck and I always tell everybody, you know, please be safe out there. We think about you. And we want you to continue to good do good things for the community up there. I won't say I'll try it. Canandaigua. Uh,
3: twice. Yeah, twice. Good job. Call, call me in
1: two or three days. I'll follow it all up, I guarantee you. But thank thanks. you very much.
2: Thanks, Gary, Chuck, you know, Stacey and Amy, part of our team. Really we consider part of Mercy Flight Central. We appreciate all the great support we receive from QuickBed Claims. It makes it all work.
1: Well, thanks so much. Jeff, one last thing. Um, if folks would have questions for you, um, do you want to give us an email or a phone number or they can even call me, whatever you're more comfortable with?
2: No, they can send me an email and I'll send it to Aaron or whoever else we need to, to get an answer. So it's J Barkoski. That's the hard part. You got to spell my last name. And then it's at mercyflightcentral.org. So J-B-A-R-T-K-O-S-K-I at mercyflightcentral.org.
1: Great. And if any of those, uh, those of you listening today uh, did not get that, didn't have your pencil and paper at hand, feel free to drop us a note here. Uh, We will be glad to convey that to you. So uh, Jeff and Aaron, thank you so much again. My thanks to Chuck and Stacy for joining in here. Uh, Again, I wish you well. Um, I want to see that picture of that Car sixty six in the worst way. We've got
3: some.
2: We'll be we, we absolutely some.
1: <laughs> and, and great. And of course, when that when is that new aircraft arriving?
2: We'll see the first one in the first half of twenty two. Okay. And we should be fully ready to go with all four of them uh, by mid twenty three.
1: Well, we expect updates. So
0: get a landing zone in the QMC parking lot. Yeah, we've
1: got down. we've got a lot of space out here right now. So <laughs> no, that was good. Yeah. Anyway, thank you again. Thank and, you. Uh, again, uh, we really appreciated you folks taking out the time. This really wasn't a ten Q thirty today, Chuck and Stacy. This was a ten Q fifty four. It was right. worth, <laughs> but, it, but it was worth every darn minute of it. That's what it was.
2: Outstanding. Take care. Thanks thank again. You. Have a great cool. day.